Good afternoon, good afternoon. We're back very quickly after our most recent podcast to give you another installment of the KG Fifth Blood Wildcat and Doc podcast. Gentlemen, how you doing? Doing well today, doing well. It's a Sunday. We should all be doing well. Yeah, I'm excited. Doing well. Everything's going well. Good Christmas. Getting ready to start the new year. A lot of things planned for this year. Yes, sir. And on top of that, since you tiptoed right there to it, 2014 is days away. We're looking for sponsors for the podcast. We believe in what we're doing. believe we're giving you some good insight, knowledge, and opinions. And uh, sponsors that want to be part of it, you can contact any one of us. We can give you the information and help us help you. Fellas, what's on your brain? Doc, you want to get right into what we didn't part one of we talked about on Friday's podcast. Want to get into part two? Sure. Um, this is a extension of what we talked about, and it really looks at the three things that we kind of put in place last week and two components, which was U of H sports in general in terms of them taking the next step and how you do that. One, obviously, is by hiring good coaches, but uh, that takes financial money to do that, revenues, and how do you get revenues associated uh, when you're not part of this big, used to be big six uh, that we talked about now as big five, and no telling where that's going to go, but that's a whole third discussion. The second one is we went back and looked at HBCUs and the precarious position they are in in regards to trying to play football at the FCS level and the diversification of HBCUs itself. This moves us to an even a stronger dilemma that we looked at, and this kind of covers the gamut all the way from uh, what we call, particularly looking at the sport of football, but looking all the way from peewee football all the way up to the NFL, but focusing mainly on high school and the great state of Texas in regards to NFL scoring rise parallels. Texas is the title of the article by Greg Easterbrook. He wrote uh, back December 24th, right before Christmas, an interesting date that he put it out there. But he looked at the scoring uh, influx of high school football and suggested that it mirrored that of the scoring levels at college, particularly in the NFL. And that Texas is kind of the litmus test, if you would, for the changes that we're starting to see. Any name some of the football programs. Uh, scores of Texas playoffs, 65-60, 55-48, 56-34, 68-21, 42-38, and 46-22 were some that he pulled out in terms of big school games and the scoring influx. And in particular, he looked at the final scores of the largest division contests, which are 5A, which we know will go to 6A next year. But uh, you had Allen, 63 over Perilyn, 28. Cedar Hill, 34 over Katie, 24. And he just talked about some of these scoring. And he compared it a decade ago to give you some comparison. He just a decade ago, the scoring of those two largest divisions were scores such as 23-7, 16-15. But let's get to the crux. Where it really gets interesting is pretty much towards his last paragraph, where he takes out a quote, and I'll just read this uh, quickly. It might not be coincidence that over roughly the same period that year-round football has become the norm in Texas and other states, African-American women have become to excel in college while African-American men have struggled. There's a forthcoming book, quote, Degrees of Inequality, end quote, by Cornell University professor Suzanne Mettler that details the performance of African-American males in higher education 
African-American girls seem to be reaching college prepared, while African-American boys as a group are not. Of course, sports is just one reason for girls play sports, and it does not hold them back academically. It is predominantly boys who get stuck into the time-draining, all-encompassing culture of year-round high school football, and 98% never receive any recruiting offer, while many fail to gain the GPAs and extracurricular that would lead to regular admission into college and regular financial aid. So the thought is, in this case, he's saying that too many particularly African-American young men are focusing on athletics, particularly sport of football, and for whatever reason, there's a parallel in terms of their lack of success academically, both at the high school level, collegiate level, and beyond. This parallels some other things that are out there. There was a professor by the name of uh, Sean R. Harper at the University of Penn, uh, Ivy League school. It looks at black male student athletes and racial inequality in NCAA Division I college sports. We know the statistics, how ugly they are. When you look at Division I program, you have less than 30% graduating rates. Retention rates are bad. And NCAA, uh, they try to put out statistics, and people may remember that commercial. It says that our kids are going pros and other things. And they have one that's a tagline that suggests that uh, African-American student-athletes have a higher graduation rate than their student component. Well, that is true when you look at all levels of NCAA sports. But it dissipates and disappears when you start to disaggravate this data and look at particular Division One, even more particularly, at BCS programs such as those Texas in the Big 12, LSU, and Texas A&M and the SEC, Alabama. And you look at those, the numbers become very ugly. You find out that they're actually graduating lower than the African-American male student rates at their particular institution. So I bring this in and kind of summarize it, gave you some data to kind of give you uh, some support what we're talking about there. And last thing I'll follow up before we get some further conversation on this is to make sure that you have the data to support this. Some points that I think must get out there. Between 2007 and 2010, black men were 2.8% full-time degree-seeking undergraduate students, but 57.1% of football teams and 64.3% of basketball teams. That's at the highest Division One level, what we refer to as BCS schools. Across four cohorts, 50.2% of black male student-athletes graduate within six years, compared to 66.9% of student-athletes overall, 72.8% of undergraduate students overall, and 55.0% of black undergraduate men overall. So they graduate at the last rate than everybody. 96.1% of these NCAA Division I colleges and universities graduate black male student-athletes at rates lower than student-athletes overall, and 97.4% of institutions graduating male black student-athletes at rates lower than undergraduate students overall, and on no campus were rates exactly comparable for these two comparison groups. And lastly, as he points out in this article, which is an executive summary, at one university, black male student-athletes graduate at a comparable rate to black undergraduate men overall, but on 72.4% of the other campuses, graduation rates of black male student-athletes were lower than rates for black undergraduate men overall. Say you, what do you think? It's sad, but it's, it's, uh, 
Go ahead, Wildcat. Go ahead. It's the one thing that he did, that 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 person, and I mentioned this in a reply when I got the when I got the uh, the tweet on it. Two things the person didn't mention. One, there are still conferences, BCS conferences especially, that still has what is referred to um, as a dirty little secret. They still accept props on all levels. And I thought... SEC? Props being what, for the folks who don't know? Prop 42s. Prop 48. Prop 48s. Um, uh, a partial, partial qualifiers. Yeah. Let me say it like that, where folks, a lay person can understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. And in the NCA, what you're referring to, to give some quite detailed background, and then I'll let you continue, is, is there is what you call the NCA clearinghouse. And if you're coming out of high school and you want to go to a Division One school or really any NCA school, and NEI has it as well, uh, and earn some type of scholarship academically, you must be cleared by the NCA clearinghouse. And they have rules based on your GPA, and they have a sliding scale formula that correlates with your GPA, uh, as well as what you score on the SAT and ACT. And depending on where you fit in that determines whether you're qualified. Well, to get back to the NCA rule, there were some concerns about not enough people qualifying, so they instituted this new rule that says you could be a Prop 42, and then it went to Prop 48, which essentially said that, no, you could not have money at first, uh, but you could get into school, you sit out a year if you make the grades your first year, then you can qualify, then you can get financial money. Then they came back with the Prop 48, which said, all right, no, you didn't qualify or whatever, but by some admission standards, if you can get into school, we will allow you to have money, but you will not be able to participate in athletics your first year. Proceed. Now, with that being said, that is, is really the crust of what the person that took care of this story didn't write about, didn't approach, didn't even mention, and I thought it should have been. Because that's almost like you forgetting what sets all that up on the high school level. Because in the state of Texas, pretty much where football is concerned, their rules are, govern, are, are pretty much run side, parallel with what's the, what they're doing in, on the college level only, only for qualifying the kid for the next level. And if you've got acceptance on the next level, as we as as, they, as it's referred to, then on the le- next level below, why should they sit up standing above when the high schools, the districts, the coaches, programs are looking at the after effect, which is more kids getting involved in their after school curriculum? Because it sets them up as these big dog in the area. Katie is a is a uh, uh, one of uh, is a big the, the big largest school largest winnings program in this area right in recent years. But the team that I refer to in the school and the program that I refer to uh, that I fall back on has always been Odessa Perry. They were winning all those games, all those championships, and maybe one out of many would be accepted to the next level to play college football or college sports at all. Uh, the first big-time kid to go to college and graduate uh, was a wide receiver that played at Texas, uh, 
years ago, back in the 90s. Um, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, yeah, Rod Williams. He was the first big Odessa Permian kid to go away from, uh, to leave out of the area and succeed. Most of them, one year, two years, back at home. They just, they weren't prepared. They weren't ready to leave out. The environment had got to the point to where, uh, at Odessa, that it was more preferable for them to finish high school, take a ten, uh, you know, go to junior, uh, to a community college, which they have several in the area, in the middle of, uh, of in the Permian Basin. Finish that out, go to work, get a family, and raise the next kid to go into the program. And I think with what was said in the story, the person didn't address what set it up on the next level and brought it down to the to the next level below. Also, no no pass, no play. It only works if the administration that's in charge chooses to make it work. And we, the next type of that we'll probably be approaching on will be about mentoring, you know, on that le- uh, male mentoring on the on the high school level. And I'm not going to drag this on too long because my cohorts are looking at me. But basically, what it boils down to is those two prop- uh, propositions that were set up in the '90s kill succeeding on the next level unless you were participating and contributing 100% on the football field. And I, I do, I have heard coaches say in seminars, we, we don't push our student athletes to go to, to be in math and science classes because it takes away from their time out on the floor or out in the, out on the football field. When I, when you hear that and you see the reaction of parents not getting up and walking out, that sets a tone for everything else that's being said the rest of the way. Am I wrong? Well, you you just touched on it. The, the biggest impetus for change will be the parents. If the parents place more influence on health, just an, a balanced uh, importance of academics with athletics as opposed to I'm going to put my kid in all the 707 camps or the AAU camps and emphasize the athletic performance and hope slash assume he's going to get that, be that one in a million to go to the pros and damn him going to school until the parents change that mentality instead of looking at their child as a lottery ticket rather than a well-rounded person to, who goes to school, who passes, who not, who does more, who does well in school, as well as well in as you know as well on the field on the court if the parents if the parents want this to change it'll change if if far too many parents just look at their son or daughter as my meal ticket out the ghetto then it's not going to change and that's 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 where it starts because young folks will learn at a young age what's important in the household if it's academics or athletics, and based on what they see and hear, that's where they're going to spend their time and gravitate toward to make their parents happy. If parents, parents, grandparents, whoever, their guardian, whoever it is, who's who's raising them. So that's that's one of the issues because it's very very rare for a young person 
to determine on his or her own, I'm going to get my books and excel on the football field or on the volleyball court or basketball court just because I think that's how that's how I want to be. It all comes from adults, and that's where it stems from. You know, in your fact, we've known it for years that coaches, not all coaches, but many coaches would rather their star athletes especially not spend too much time on hard, quote-unquote hard classes because it takes away their preparation time they feel from being a star on football field, basketball court, or wherever because the coaches want to win, coaches want to get paid, and coaches want to get acknowledged, and coaches really don't really and there are some coaches that really don't care about whether their kids excel, excel academically. That's reality. That's true. And, that, and, it's, and that's a sad state of affairs where we get, where, um, not this, where citizens have gotten to this, this point, especially concerning where our kids are headed off to the, to, uh, to college. You know, if it, the kid makes it in the classroom, fine and dandy, that's a, that's a plus. Um, but if he can use his athletic, his or her athletic gal to get him there, um, and then the, that's all, that's, that, that's the, the hoorah and the hallelujah of the neighborhood. Because as you say, too many parents, and I'm going to say it just like that because it's, it's, it's an abundance now. Used to didn't be this way, but it is. Meal ticket. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, they're hearing in the neighborhood about, you know, about this and that one leaving. Well, they can't wait for that child to get to the, that kid to get to that point. And it's pretty much bearing out, you know, here in the state of Texas, I will admit. The last one, one two, three, that's three Heisman Trophy winners while the 707 program. Right. And I, I think it's intriguing. And you look at the number in the, in the NFL in the article. Uh, illustrates that before we get to that point. We didn't want to go too deep into it before we actually got some discussion. And I think your points are very valid. But I'm very careful uh, oftentimes that we kind of blame the people that are taking advantage of, in my opinion, oftentimes, uh, than actually looking at the overall systemic problem, excuse me, in regarding uh, this issue. And we live in a country that has two basic tenets, uh, tenets uh, from a democratic component uh, as well as a capitalistic uh, component. And really this this boils down to is profit-driven. And you have a social system that has created this, and you have some uh, very good writers that have wrote about this, those that are interested and really want to read into this. You can look at William Roden, uh, New York, that wrote the book $50 Million Dollars slaves he talks about a chapter in there particularly that my students must read in uh, one of the courses so they get a better understanding of the dynamics of what's out there and they can kind of decide afterwards where they're going to position themselves to deal with this issue if at all because he has a chapter that deals with a term called the conveyor belt what really looks at a, the system it creates this linear path if you would and mindset amongst a lot of these athletes and therefore their parents and those all involved the system there's also a professor out of um, University of Georgia that I've worked with that uh, has some fascinating information on it. His name is Billy Hawkins. He wrote a book called The uh, New Plantation, where he looks at African-American athletes and their socialization at these BCS programs. 
uh, predominantly white colleges, uh, if you want to think of one. There's another professor right here around the corner at the uh, University of Texas called Lewis Harrison, and he talked a uh, very article that I had my students read as well. I think it's interesting where he looks at uh, the profound statement when he had a younger kid that was running track, and he happened to be uh, a middle-class family, so he mixed or intermingled with uh, a lot of European uh, families, uh, European-American families, let me state that correctly, what we use oftentimes as white uh, in our common vernacular. Uh, from the platform that uh, all students were doing well, but for whatever reason, when people looked at him very linear and his kid, when they always would come out with these comments, you did very well, and talked about, you know, don't forget this when you make it to the pros. And he said it was this platform in people's mind that that's what young athletes uh, of color do. They train for professionals. While they were looking at their kids and they were talking about this is good extracurricular activity, but you're going to be an accountant, you're going to be a mathematician, you're going to be a scientist, something that you kind of approached in your overall directions. And finally, there's a young lady that uh, also has a part in this that I don't want to live out. Uh, Akila Carter at Texas A&M University, a, a sociologist, professor of sport management, and she tends to look at this lens to add a bigger picture of this, although we're focusing on the men. She focuses on the men, but she also has a huge plethora of um, information in regarding women of the color and how they have to deal with these issues. And my final point in this, this is I think there is a social issue um, with this country in terms of sports in general mm-hmm. that provides an even bigger platform that commoditizes these African-American athletes. And until we go in as a community and kind of disavow some of these things it puts so much emphasis on athletics, you won't see much change, which is essentially what you said. I think it's dangerous to put so much of the focus on family members, particularly family members if we're being truthful in terms of those that are in economic uh, positions that are not established as others, you know, depressed if we would, uh, social economic uh, platforms that are not well. They're not really educated to make an informed decision. I always tell my wife when we have discussions about this, and she sees people that do things that are just not very smart outside of the law oftentimes, and she tries to rationalize. And I said, well, I think that's always dangerous when obviously you're looking at somebody, if they did that, they were not in a rational state of mind. So why would you analyze what they did in terms of rationalization? Well, same thing happens here when you're talking about parents. If they're not in a place of academic acumen in such a way that they can actually make intelligent decisions, why would you suggest they should be? And that's why I say it's dangerous when you look at the parents. Now, I do agree with you. They need to do better. They need to be educated. But part of that is those that are in the know must get out there and cellularly put that information in front of them so they can know better, and then there's more likely a chance that they will do better. But I'm going to put a huge component on these universities um, that if a young African-American scholar was to look at their institution was just below the academic threshold that they thought they would scream that this was affirmative action, that they were not able to get into a med school or a law school or in their engineering school. But if a African-American student athlete happens to have some excelling talent that they see will help them make billions of dollars, not millions now, we're talking about billions of dollars, 
for their NCA or independent university institution, they'll overlook that. And then we'll scream later and find out that not only did they take advantage of his commoditization of his skills, uh, but they didn't even find a way that he uh, graduated because they love to say, well, he's getting a free education. I would argue nothing is free, obviously. And then when you look at the graduation rates, they say less than 30%. And we can also add the component that they're not even graduating. So you haven't given them anything. Let me, let me add to that with this, from this perspective. A lot of these big time programs, the FBS schools, the big five schools, they, they have tutors and these student counselors and all kinds of, supposedly all kinds of um, resources available to the student athletes uh, to at least pass their classes. Ideally, I'd like them to do better than just pass, better than just get by. If, if all those resources are available to the students, whose fault is it if the student doesn't take advantage of those resources? Student fault. I'm going to let you. I don't, I, I I don't I think that's the case. Because, again, you cannot have somebody that doesn't have the acumen to understand what is taking place. Now, I think there is a component that you do have to put some responsibility on it. But, again, I think that's very dangerous when we're – it's almost like um, – when you see a victim of rape, and then you say, well, why did you have that short dress on? Or why were you out this late? Again, you have this thing that we have in America we do in terms of victimization sure. and making that person the impetus of the problem. You have a huge component of this organization that sets up this framework that allows it very easy for a young person that has not been academically trained. Okay, so you... You're you you're going back to the root of the problem. Correct. Like an elementary, junior high. Yeah. Somebody level. can't read. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because uh, that that you that is that a problem. Some no doubt. Let's get to the root and stop trying to cover it up. Right. Because that's still a problem. I, you and I both, all three of us know that there are our athletes, yeah, not even star athletes, who can't read, who are, who are illiterate in college. Correct. And when you and, try to tutor them, and you try to talk and interview them. You shrug because you're almost embarrassed for them. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, oh, I, and I don't. I don't ask. I don't request those young men and women to to speak once you post game. Yeah. Because I don't want to embarrass them, and it, it looks bad on, on everybody. Correct. Now, with that being said, and that is a problem. And I, because I, it, it it still it still chased me to this day. I don't know. Do you all remember the, the post game NFL interview with Brian Gumble? And Lester Hayes back in uh, when Oakland won the. Uh, I've seen. Now, I thought yeah. that was the most overbearing use of a college education intelligence by a journalist on TV. Yeah. Post game when you realize it was tantamount to that that, that 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 your your objective was not so much once it got started, but as soon as it it eventually got over the air, you were in. It, it was an attempt to. I'm gonna embarrass this guy. I'm gonna get a story. I'm gonna get two stories out of this, and I'm gonna find a way to explain all this out. 
when it's over and done with tomorrow. But right now, you are it. You my story for the yeah, I'm, I'm gonna make my move up. Again, that's what I'm saying. That's the system that says that I'm going to be a capitalist and I'm gonna take advantage of every opportunity to meet and not look at the group and the masses. And that's why I said it's it's very important that we're selling in terms of, you know, looking at this the perceptions and and football in Texas is an obsession. Yes. For many, many millions of people. Gotta point that out. In the state, and it starts pee wee football. Pee wee football. Yes, that, that's true. Um, I see him out there on the weekends, and then and it goes to the seven on seven, and there are different people, some parents, mm-hmm. coaches, all levels of adults, mm-hmm. who will look at these kids as their meal ticket, as their lottery ticket, as their whatever. To get money, to get theirs. Their stepping stone. Stepping stone, another great term. And then whether or not the kid can read, whether or not the kid can do math, whether, and we're talking basic. No, yeah. Knowledge and skills. Yeah. You know, they, it's not that important to them. Because they'll, they will pass it on. It's not my child. Not my student. I don't teach that kid in school. He's not going to my school. Right. So th- we always, we, I'm, I'm using a collective we as society, we always expect somebody else to help out exactly. rather than take it upon ourselves to help that, that, that child out. So it, it is a, you know, a systemic problem, and it, and it starts from the basic level and goes on up, and it goes on to the pro level. I mean, there's still pro athletes are being taken advantage of, you know, if it's their financial advisors, which, you know, we're still seeing football players, athletes, and coaches being taken yeah, advantage yes. of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Ponzi scheme victims, yeah. etc. Ma- 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 mainly or possibly because they don't know or did not know enough to be informed to be informed to keep track of what's coming in and what's going out, where the money's being spent, Absolutely. who's getting it. So it, it's a it's a problem on all kinds of levels. So basically, and we can discuss this for numerous podcasts. Yeah. And one thing I like before we move forward sure. is, is I hate getting into a conversation and not providing any type of solutions. But one thing I put on the table in terms of just a general solution sure. before we move forward with this is one of the reasons I opened up before you is I'm starting a 501c organization. And I'm going to get the information out there to the people once we get to that point and bring you all in if you would like to be a part of it, is that we're going to start training younger individuals minorities in general, specifically looking at African-American males, but anybody that wants to be involved, to educate them as early as possible on opportunities, both inside sports and outside sports, uh, educational-wise, health and wellness-wise, business-wise, financial literacy-wise, in terms of just how to be better stewards in this great country that we have in America that does have some problems, but it has a lot of opportunities that we would frankly put out there, and we're just going to go in there do a lot of the grunt work ourselves to educate as many people as possible to make better decisions as they move forward. And that's great, and we'll continue mentioning that in future podcasts. Because, bottom line, I feel safe in saying that none of us, the three of us, have gotten to where we are by ourselves. Absolutely. And I think all three of us believe in giving back and bringing somebody else along to carry the torch going forward once we're gone being called home to somebody else 
to keep right. and maintain and do better than what we've done. Off the back of us, it's all my achievements I put at the feet of what they were able to do and allow me to achieve. Amen. Amen. And to just deviate a little bit off of that, go see Mandela. Trust me, go see Mandela. Everybody listening, you guys, if you haven't seen it, go see it. You'll enjoy it. You'll be inspired. Um, It's a very good movie. Great acting. And even some things I didn't know to learn. I'm always anxious and willing to learn new things each and every day because the day I I don't learn something, the day I'm I'm, I'm dead. You're right. Doc, who are you, sir? Yes, I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, Dr. Japheth Kenyatta Cavill, Professor of Sport Management. It looks at it from a critical race theory as well as leadership um, component, if you would, theorization, social constructs. But I like to focus mainly on HBCUs and the history as well as what they do in sports, both athletically and business-wise. Right here at Texas Southern University as a professor, outside interest as creating the top 10 black college polls, which we do in football, basketball, as well as baseball. We do it in each of those sports as a major and mid-major division component. And for basketball, we stretch into men's and women's basketball uh, to separate the two to give some love to the women out there. So that's my platform. You can find me on uh, thg-agency.com website that'll give you a lot of information about uh, studies that I've done, uh, research that I've done, as well as work that I've done. You can also find me in terms of some of the articles uh, in regards to some of the things I talk about right here on this podcast. If you want to get into greater detail, you can find me on TSPN Sports, onadon.com, and during the fall at the college sporting news.com in regards to uh, just keeping up with your local HBCUs all 106, particularly the ones that play uh, athletics over the period of time and the governing of those sports. Wildcat, who are you, sir? I am the fifth ward Wildcat. You can find me across the internet, uh, YouTube, um, Twitter, Blogger, and I am also a columnist, print, and online for kingsizeview.com. The new paper is out. I have a print copy for you two, you two fellows. Um, on the front, on, on the main page, you can see the, the college sports report tab it. You can find my stories and my video, uh, my post games and my individual interviews, community affairs, uh, some of, and I am in this to get this, to win this. To bring you over the crossover. And you, sir. Um, Thank you, sir. You're I checking, am. that's right. You're, che- you're checking, we, we, you got your, a, a couple of Twitter, uh, Twitter, a couple of Twitter questions and all. Come no, 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 we're going we'll to discuss uh, that. Good. Just one second. Um, I am KG of, of the Houston Round Ball Review, owner, co-owner, co-owner and co-founder of the Houston Round Ball, Houston Round Ball Review website is www.houston. Roundballreview.com. Houston Roundball Review is the YouTube channel as well as the Instagram account. I'm on Twitter at T H E H R Review. That's T H E H R Review. Some of y'all say the H R Review. Some say V H R Review. However you say it, find me and follow me on Twitter. You you will uh, get some 
insight on men's basketball and right. women's basketball and some other things thrown in. You'll see that I'm a fan of that Washington NFL football team, who, who name I no longer say because of other issues. I don't agree with the nickname. I've been a fan for 30 years now. It's time to make a change in the name. I'm a Pistons fan as well, and they mm-hmm. stink. Really upset me the last two games. They blow out losses on the road. But anyway, <laughs> don't digress. I digress don't digress too much. <laughs> don't digress. Back on topic. I want to answer it. Uh, touch on this. It's kind of out of my bailiwick, but a friend of mine asked uh, us to discuss the uh, Texans' next head coach. Who do we think it is? Yesterday, it's, I thought it was interesting. This, this is how media has changed. ESPN, uh, Chris Mortensen, and Adam Schefter there you go. both said yesterday that Bill O'Brien of Penn State would be the Texans' next head coach. They were just working out the contract details. An hour, within an hour, John McClain of the Chronicle there you go. had a quote there you from go. Texans owner Bob McNair. We are still interviewing people. We'll do more interviews in the in this coming week. There is nothing been set in stone as far as the head coach. Now, with that said, you got it from the general. You got it from the general. That's different. We'll see who's right. I don't, I'm not questioning John McClain. I just find it interesting that, I mean, those three men are well-connected in football. Now, so my only comment, they have different sources, obviously, now, clearly. My, my only point to that will be John talked to the person that signed the check, and I'm just kind of like speculating and kind of like leaving it out there, but I believe Scheffner and Marty Talk to the folks at Penn State, uh, Bill O'Brien, uh, I, O'Brien's uh, I think representative. He, I think Scheffner, he has connection on both sides. I think he talked to everybody. I think what you're starting to find out is, is there people are so desperate for news and people are so well connected. Is what you're doing is you having individuals within organizations leaking information. And what you find out is ownerships now are trying to go back and cover themselves, so they'll put out loose statements such that, that they can cover themselves and basically say nothing has been finalized. Mm-hmm. Some of that is for contractual purposes gotcha. in terms of negotiation. Yeah. Some of it's because they're pissed that they have people within their organization that are leaking out information. Right. You've seen this with the Cowboys just last week with the injury and at the end of the day it came out that essentially Schiffner was right and what it was is you had people within that organization, the Cowboys, were pissed that somebody leaked the true business. Right. But that's just the nature, as you said, how much media has changed now. That people have so many sources and so many people are desperate in terms of you see this in politics as well, sure. so I won't just say it's sports related. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see it in some type of businesses too, at the highest level when CEOs are making changes and 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 um uh their their organization in terms of financial expenditures are coming out on the quarters or at the end of year report. So I just think this is a changing landscape. So I would suggest that both of those people are correct. To what degree, we'll find out in the next week or so. So do you think Bill O'Brien's going to be the next head coach? Yes. Not Levy Smith or someone no. else? I think he will be. And if they can get the numbers right. And I think that's what it's going to boil down to. You know, how they're paying the bow and then setting up a pay scale and all oh, which is it? About six million dollars, nine million dollars yeah. right? And a lot of that, to me, is is not that they don't want to pay it out. They'll try to get it less than if they can. But oftentimes, you're talking about now. You're talking about 
business decisions. When I say business decisions, I'm talking about financial. So now the question becomes is how do you pay it out? Do you pay it out right. over a six-year period, a million uh, year? Right. Is there any interest associated with it? And how do you prove that payment such that uh, it benefits you more than what the loss is of paying it out? Right. So a lot of times those are the subtleties in terms of when they're making these decisions, uh, which goes back to that financial literacy we were talking about, really understanding these numbers and how they affect you mm-hmm. in terms of making decisions mm-hmm. long term. Well, let's let's shift gears. We're going to get to on-the-court stuff in a couple of moments. But an, another issue, uh, and this is Twitter. Uh, I think Chuck Carlson of the Dallas Morning News, his tweet was yesterday that the Longhorns, are so you know according to a source that's what you always say things now media according to a source <laughs> texas hey, hey, go back to what doc said it covered your right. butt texas is considering florida state's jimbo fisher and art browse as the next head coach i rest my case but you said that earlier but no 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 he didn't we said that he said Art was happy at home and Baylor saying wake up we said money was yeah I tell you go he go you know we, he going but, but I'm saying you brought the name oh yeah we said he going but you click on the link to the tweet there are four names mentioned in the first paragraph of the article what Florida State's two? Jimbo Fisher Baylor's Art Browse okay Vanderbilt's James Franklin and Louisville's Charlie Strong are also considered to be in the mix. Two African-American candidates. So you go from a tweet of two names to the article says four names are being considered in the mix. Well, you see who he likes. So <laughs> clearly, if you just saw the tweet, you're thinking that it's Jimbo Fisher and Art Brown. You read the article, you see there's more. Well, I know, why, I know why he has oh, the, and the, then, the mentality he has, too. The next, so I'll take that. The next line of the paragraph says, one store, one source still refused to rule out Nick Saban as a possibility, oh, although that may be a that. long shot. Other candidates could also emerge. So he went from a tweet of two names to four, five, and <laughs> even maybe possibly more. Six, seven. You know. <laughs> so he's saying it's wide open. So it's wide open, in other words. It's wide open. <laughs> so, and I hope that happens. But, but now. Coach now that anywhere. is good media investigation okay. on your part. Now. To what, to the end, the end result of what my cohort mentioned, folks, what it boils down to is this big dog is still sits in Austin. That means that they've got money to pay off somebody's contract, bring somebody in, and offer them either the same amount or enough above for you to make that move over. Correct. Now, with that being said, it's not going to take long once the season is over with. Because they know recruiting is right around the corner. That that signing period, somebody's gonna be in that position real quick. So in your uh, to get deeper into this before we move on, if you'd like to, who is really gonna make this decision? I think it will be the two people that I saw at the table doing the exit: uh, 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 Bill Powers and Steve Patterson, because apparently the group that Brought Steve Patterson in. And who is that group? That is what I call the young long, the, the the young horns. That money group. The young millionaire. Yeah. Billionaire. That group is gonna set the tone. And that's the, under what? Forty-five, under fifty. Yeah. Somewhere along there. 
Doc, you can move in the next. That, 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 that and then oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm trying to get in there. Trust me. But I, th- I think that group I, is going to be even capitalist. Some problems yeah. I have with it, but don't but get it that, that, All right, then. That's all I want to know. That's I'm all I want to know. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. We do believe in the in, in dollar bill. <laughs> it all it's, and folks don't ever forget. You can go to my uh, go to the website, the College Sports Report, and all it to my YouTube site and Google up University of Texas Mac Brown's exit. Bill that Powers. Was, uh, that was a good article about. Thank Bill, Bill Bill Powers said the one thing that was prolonging this along were things that were put in his contract that were written in his contract and Max contract to not resolve it quickly. I agree with that, and I would add on to that that would also elongated this was the fact that Powers, Bill Powers, the president, once he got that assurance that he would be in the leadership. I don't think he actually wanted to make a move. No, he did. And so he prolonged that until he found out that this is no longer your decision. Right. And that's why I said ultimately who's going to make this decision. And I think you're right. The two people that are going to make this decision is not really going to be the president or the athletic director. Their hands will be on the signature. Right. And they'll be put forth in front. It's going to be the regents. And and the regents are going to be connected to the Big time boosters. Right. And when we talk about that, we're talking about a handful of people, five that are over 50, if you would. Right. Just bad. Billionaires. But, but yeah. Versus the five to 10 of them that are under the 50 mark that are billionaires as well. Right. Billionaires and billionaires that will actually make that decision. And that's why it's kind of so fluid because those two groups have not really settled on who they want as a group. Right, and that's why this is going back and forth on that panel. Now, uh, and, and Doc, you can explain this better than I can because it just it just recently got approved. The NC2A just recently approved for alumni boosters to help supplement coaches' salaries. It's more so at the public schools than at the the, the private schools. Correct. Explain how that works, which which refer which relates to What's fixing to happen at Texas? Yeah, essentially in the past, what you would find out is if you you would many of us understand we've seen these exorbitant uh, salaries for head coaches. Three, well, was it once a million was exorbitant? Now, now it's, it's all the way up to, to five, five skirt up to seven million dollars. Right. With the outlandish thought that Texas may have even went to ten million if they got who they want. Why people say the saving is not necessarily out there. Part because they hadn't put that check down for ten million yet, if that's the case. But essentially, what you would find out is the state of institution would usually pay at these large institutions maybe a half a million dollars. They usually would still be paid in terms of what they would actually get from the institution less than the president, but the salary would be augmented by the booster organization. That would usually get contracts from television, radio exposure associated with deals they had with outside groups such as Nike uh, to wear a clothing line. And that's where the other two and a half, three and a half, four and a half million dollars would come by to create this overall salary of four, five, six, seven million dollars that we talked about. Now, what the NCAA is saying that 
you can they're going to allow you to put this money directly from the boosters into uh, the coaching salary. So this is going to change the game in favor for those that believe in capitalistic society for those coaches involved to even get more basketball coaches more exorbitant salary, which is to me is going to be dangerous because you have a lot of researchers like myself and media people on your side that have been pounding this drum in regards to when are the athletes going to get their piece. And that's why you see this stifling being pushed further and further, which was voted down by those that didn't believe they could afford it. But you've seen the BCS institutions that we had the money. Sure. And we talked about last week in regards to uh, U of H and whether they could make that next step and why it would be as difficult uh, in admission as well as Texas Southern Prairie View when we talked about even trying to make the first step, if you would. In terms of supplementing that income, in regards to taking their programs to the next level. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna and I'm gonna ask one other question because this was brought up to, by one of my subscribers. Do you still adhere to the uh, the uh, province that the president should be the highest paid uh, administrator on campus rather than the, the uh, football or the basketball coach? Yes, in terms of what is paid by the institution? Yes. Yeah, no question about it. But I would argue that most people don't realize that that was the case. And that's what I was trying to explain mm -hmm. there, is when you look at the money that was allocated by the institution, uh, coaches were not paid more than the president. The supplement income was, which came from outside sources, which is the same thing a president or faculty member as myself that is a great researcher. We've seen it by Cornell West and people of that nature. But they'll go out and get huge sums of money from books they write uh, when they go on to the lecture circuit. And for any of those that are out there, I do do speeches. So you can call me or hit me up on uh, the website, as I talked about, and I'll give you further information out there. Well, but they have often have money that is greater than what they get paid by the institution by outside sources. And essentially, that's how football and basketball coaches were paid. They were only paid by the state institution. Uh, Essentially, uh, in the example I gave you, a president would be paid a half million dollars or four fifty. Let's say that, then the coach would be paid maybe four hundred thousand dollars. So yes, I, I agree with that from that. So let, so let me bring that home. Since the NCAA has allowed that That's now, mm -hmm. it is possible. It is possible yeah. for a wealthy U of H alum. Yeah. To pay the next women's head basketball coach a good hunk of change. Correct. Direct. Direct. Not have to go towards the booster group uh, to facilitate that exchange. Did you hear that, Wildcat? As you look I heard you. that. Thank you very much. Okay. I heard that. Now, uh, we're not going to get into details okay, of why, yeah, yeah, why it's, I said it's, that. It's, yeah, it's, it's, let's not go there. But it's important. But it's nope. important to know. And. We 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 put that out as information, as a as I say as an FYI. And trust me, file that away. I did not say that flippantly. That means there is money to be paid for the next women's basketball coach at the University of Houston Cougars. Now I think what's going to be interesting in the second part of that question you asked, which goes with this push by 
the NCA to allow the athletic directors to have more control, which I think will become a problem by president in terms of not being able to control these persons. So I think it's going to be interesting. In one class I teach that looks at the history of sports, this is a uh, problem that has started from the beginning of time. And the pendulum switches back and forth. If you go start to really read and you think about it as you covered it, you've seen these similar points where it goes back and forth. And that's kind of what you've seen with the Prop 48 you talked about uh, with these issues where the president's trying to have this control and then the athletic directors or commissioners, if you will, try to have this control. So you see these rules that go back and forth in terms of who has control. And when it goes to the president's side, all you have to do is look for controlling issues in terms of salary look at issues in terms of decisions that look at leadership or academic decisions. That's when they're in control. And you see the pendulum go back to the other side where you talk about more uh, revenue-driven issues, the rules that allow more kids that may not be academically prepared to play. That's when you see the athletic directors and the commissioners in control. You go back to the beginning of time, that's when it goes back and forth. And that's the issue that's about to take place again. It's switching back to the athletic directors out of the control of the president. Now, Saturday, we're going to talk some on the court real quick. This podcast is awesome, listeners. I hope you realize what you heard during this podcast and what we're trying to provide to you. And Please spread the word about our podcast and what we're doing. Hope you enjoy it. Saturday afternoon, the uh, inaugural game in the brand new American Athletic Conference How was, it? was on their new digital network, part of 30 games that the conference is offering free, 30, excuse me, 30 women's basketball games that the American is showing on their website. It featured the Houston Cougars and the UCF Knights. As expected, the Cougars lost 67-59, but they played well. Either they played well or UCF is worse than I thought they were. And I'm going to lean more toward the latter. <coughs> UCF kind of underwhelming, except for Brianna Jackson uh, for 24 points, 16 in the second half for, for the Knights. 16 in the second half? 16 in the second half. Yeah, eight at half, eight at half time, 16 in the second half. Yep. Wow. Um, Interesting. Cougars missed free throws. Cougars had a chance to win the game. The Cougars were down, were down 10, cut it to 4, had three chances to get it closer than that at each time, turned the ball over or missed a shot, or, or you know what have you. Post game with the um, interim head coach Wade Scott was he was he was straightforward. He you know admitted that they could have done some things better. Overall, I was I was satisfied with the way they played. I want to touch on this, and you know about it. I sent you the text. Dot doesn't know about it, but Denise Taylor was sitting courtside opposite the U of H bench yesterday. And Doc, he had nothing there to ask me who. <laughs> Had a, had a question mark about, about I said, when I asked the question, was she just sitting or was she taking notes? Or what? She, was just, she was just sitting, and I'll tell you something else off the podcast off the air about after this. All right, then. Um, Let me know. About her and who brought her down the steps. That's all I want to know. Courtside. That's all I want to know. It will shake you, it will make you just really wonder what the hell's going on. Um, wow. Because it's very strange. Not who you think it was. Oh. But wow. she coached at Jackson State. She's a THU alum, coach at WNBA. So this is the second game that I know of that she's been at U of H. She was at the U of H Rice game last Friday as well. So she's been in the last two U of H basketball games. 
So let your mind wonder where you where where it goes. She's she's surfing with 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 she that. She was over here. Because, because I know she at one time won the TSU job. She wanted to come home and coach here as well, yes. especially before they hired Cindy Cooper. And I'm pretty sure she's not happy that they promoted Coach Nita Hayes rather than give her a chance to coach her her alma mater. But that's that's one thing there. Seeing her, the Cougars uh, women played New Year's Eve at two o'clock in the afternoon on 31st versus USF, and then the men played Connecticut at eight o'clock in Hawkeye Savannah on, on New Year's Eve as well. So I'll be there for both games while the Rockets play, I think, Sacramento on New Year's Eve at 6 p.m. in Toyota Center. Rockets had a good week. They started out losing to the Mavs at home, but they bounced back with solid wins over the Spurs on the road, then Memphis, and then last night with their win over the Pelicans. All those write-ups are on my blog, Houston Run Bar View Men's Hoops blog. Cougars information game stories on the Women's Hoops blog as well. Be sure to check that out. I want to uh, mention this. Uh, the Cougars men's team announced that they have moved their Gabby Lewis night to February 5th, where they're, going to, where they're going to honor Coach Lewis for being inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. That's the same day they play Louisville, the defending champs. And I believe they're giving away uh, bobbleheads or something. T-shirts, let me get more information on that. But it's, you know, Cougars in Louisville have had many exciting basketball games in previous years. They have a great, not it's not a rivalry because they don't play enough, but it's, they've had some very important matchups in, in previous years on the basketball court. So that's why they t- decided to tie it together with uh, the legendary game when they played in 1983 in the pit, which was a feature of the Slamma Jamma going against the Doctors of Dunk. Remember that Jerry Dale Griffith and Doctors of Dunk? Remember that? Yeah, man, I remember but yes, that, the man. first 5,000 fans will that, receive man. free. Yeah. I remember that, that, man. That's all I'm going to talk about. I don't remember what, happened, what happened after that. I don't remember anything about that. Then but, let that go, man. Let that go. the first 5,000 fans at the game will receive free commemorative red and white polka dot towels. And that's what Coach Lewis had. He was famous with those polka dot towels that he used to you have on the sidelines tossing the air after your Cougar victories. Uh, I want to mention in, in uh, this that uh, – one of Coach Lewis's former players, Cecil Rose, uh, passed away on Friday at the age of 58. Rest in peace to his family. He was brother of Lyndon Rose and uncle of L.J. Rose, current Cougar on the men's basketball team. So rest in peace to him. Um, anything you want to say? Let's see, PV women are still winless. They lost Saturday to uh, on the road to TCU. That's getting ugly. And the conference play, I think, is now starts for them. What was the final Next score? Week. Uh, final score they played well next weekend they play Southern. Started SWAC play. It wasn't it wasn't competitive. It wasn't competitive. Uh, PB women. I'll get the score here in just a second. But yeah, it wasn't because the men lost to Wisconsin eighty to fifty three. So I think they only had two non conference wins for, for Prairie View men. So right. two one is a division one. Yeah. So yeah. So one division one win between the men's and women's programs of PV. So that's not. Not a great thing there. That's kind of disappointing. Now, TSU women play oh, Sunday afternoon Man. to UTEP. PV Ooh. final score to TCU was 76-47. So that was the final score there. Uh, TSU oh. women, Lady Tigers, playing at UTEP today. The TSU men are playing at TCU, I think, right? Yeah. So we'll see if, if the men can follow up with their big road win at Temple with yeah. another Road win at TCU today. So TCU is playing pretty well. It'll be a tough game, but it's one that 
They should be in the ball game. And I bet, I bet you this TCU won't play one on one against Eric Murray like Temple did. They just refused to zone him up and or double team him, whatever. And so that was a mistake. Forty eight points later, <laughs> Eric Murray said, "Thank you very much." TCU. TCU, yes. You, you, you think uh, a Big B and and uh, and Trent gonna, gonna allow that to happen? Well, I mean, <laughs> they're not dumb, so I mean, you know, they played that before. So it's all I'm I, would, saying. I would assume not. Uh, HBU women masked Houston Tillerson Saturday, ninety-nine forty-eight. They're going to start conference play in the Southland on Thursday at Old Roberts, uh, January second. The men will be the second part of the doubleheader versus ORU as well. So when with conference play is starting, if it hasn't already started like it has in the American for the women. So fun times. Are here? Yeah, and it's 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 interesting. The fun time of conference play is, is right here, which means Wildcat. Yeah, conference tournaments are in March yeah. and in April. What I'm saying, Wildcat. Hey, we the going final to Nashville. Four. <laughs> right. so Duggan, we headed down the road. It's, it's not far away that uh, we'll be in Nashville. Big ball still a crawl. Podcast. We'll be we're still be doing a podcast, <laughs> Doc. Some way somehow you'll be part of the podcast I in Nashville. So not, don't worry about that. We'll figure so, that. We'll oh, figure we'll that make it work. We'll make it work as we always do. Um, anything y'all want to add? If I forget anything about touching on basketball, Rockets, Rockets playing pretty well last night's win over New Orleans. Rockets are finding ways to win rather than finding ways to lose. So that's a good sign. So they're 21-11. They're playing at OKC Sunday night. Who was out without Russell Westbrook? Now he's at another knee surgery, third one in the span of a year. So uh, got his knee scoped again. Be out, I think, hopefully till. Hope they hope. All-Star breaks, February. So we'll see how that all plays out for the Rockets. They still miss Omer Oshik and miss Greg Smith. They have no backup right now. Dwight Howard, once he goes to the bench, foul trouble just for a rest. But they're finding ways to win, and that's a good thing. The crowd is still on great in Toyota Center, but at least last night's crowd was loud and vocal. Oh, so that, that was, speaking that was, of, that was a switch. one of my followers, one of the people that, that I follow, sent a quick pick. Of the lower ball on last night's game, and there was nobody there. The, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, what did that look like? <laughs> what did really what that looked like? Because I just the, accept it now. I, I just accept the fact that there are people in the in the seats, and then after the game, a final box score was said sellout. Now, you know, in last night, sellout was about a hundred larger than they usually say, like it was above capacity. It was eighteen thousand two thirty three. I think it was the announced attendance. They weren't all there, but if they're saying they want to say that the seats are sold, whatever. Yeah, I think that's an interesting model because you look at basically you see NBA in terms of their home games are going to the Super Bowl type model. You see where all the seats are basically conditioned for a corporate organization. It'd be interesting to see to follow how long would that model be able to flourish in terms and, of what and, actual people see. And I know this for a fact that if not all purchased for the future because I bought two tickets for the game in January versus OKC for me and my friend who wanted to go see them. So I got those two tickets with no problem getting tickets. So sell out my behind if you're going to look into the future. But anyway, anything else want to add? No, I think the only other thing we add is coming to the end of the football season, we'll start giving our NFL playoff picks before we jump back into the madness of basketball. So for our football fans out there, we have to forget that this is a big weekend and everybody's tied up and the NFL is flourishing well because this is what they alluded to when they back-ended and put all the conference 
divisional game at the end of the schedule such that they have this madness, if you would, uh, which all these teams still, quote-unquote, being alive uh, to get in the playoffs and then position themselves for playoffs. And there's so much speculation out there, there's no reason really to get into detail. We'll let it sort itself out, and then we'll kind of come back next week and start talking about some picks and Super Bowl ending. Well, did you all – let me ask this question before we finish up and let me pass around. Did any one of you all see any uh, – was any surprises uh, – I didn't see that coming, sports-wise, on the college level this this season, this year, for the last spring. Uh, the, no, I, I, I think about you got something in mind. Uh, biggest surprises, I think, were the private schools stepping up. Duke, you would right. well, yeah, continue yeah. to be yeah. All of a sudden, Tulane getting into a bowl game, even though they lost Rice. to yet. Oh, and Rice, speaking of which, right sir, please, by all means, you got to touch on what's happening on I 31st. Hey, I was, that was going to be my closeout. You, you know, know, so you got to touch on that. The Hootie Hoos are going, you know, they're, well, they're there. Yeah. They're in Memphis. They left a few days ago. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow is the last uh, media, uh, local media uh, availability for the Cougars before they head off to uh, Birmingham. See, uh, that was so good of him. See, I'm trying to give him lead into talk about Rice. He goes to talk about the Cougars. See, that's that's so nice of you, Walker. Thank you very much. Hey, Thank you very much. You know, only way you're gonna you, you, people are gonna you know buy in at some point. Somebody else has got to talk about them too. That's right. And yeah. I, I appreciate what y'all talk about about y'all talking about the right side because and and there there are media in Memphis now. TV stations already are there with yeah. the team. Yeah. I know the oh, guys yes. Eleven are there right now because I saw them on Twitter. Yeah. So that that's good that. Uh, they're getting some coverage and recognition, and that's that's one thing I think we all agree on that we all appreciate right. is that we we are a small fish in a big media pond locally. So when the TV stations show love to the smaller school, you know Rice is a smaller school, you know because it's not hell, it's not even U of H in some people's eyes that Rice doesn't exist. So any coverage that Rice gets for their on-field achievement is a good thing. Absolutely. And with that being said. I'll be rolling out of here tomorrow, six o'clock. Hit it off tonight. What What's your prediction? Right, if I had to, I'm just throwing it out there. You know, fishing pole and everything. Looking for the white owls to win that game. Who are they gonna beat? Uh, Mississippi State. Oh yeah, SEC. You know, it's, they're gonna play hard. They're gonna play hard. They're gonna give everything they got. Yeah, no question. About and that. and see the other thing too to them, I'm, I'm kind of like. Falling on those guys, this senior class reminds me of the first senior class to go to take the house back to bowling with Jared Dillon and uh, uh, and that bunch, uh, Casey and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Chase, uh, Chase Clemens. That group and uh, Brian Reigns, that, that group had a uh, they had a message. You know, they pretty much like this senior group have policed themselves the whole year. You know, coaches were there, but what are your thoughts on the Cougars' prediction of Cougars? I'm going to win that game, literally, only because quarterback situation is, is not not so much not up in the air. You know, it's delivered, and when they are, are capable of getting mismatches, uh, mismatches, they've been able to deliver, and the defense is playing better, a they lot better. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt. And, another SEC in, mm-hmm. in right. Birmingham, yeah, right. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. It'd be something to really, if both schools, local schools, pull it off to hang hats on now, to be wins against the SEC, now, SEC school. What bothers me, and I, I'm no finishing on a doubt, but this will chase my hide 
bad one. When you talk about support, you better do something about support. Birmingham is not going to look well for the Cougars. No, it's, I don't Only think because they've talked, uh, uh, folks have talked a good game about going and helping out, but Vanderbilt has, I know they've contacted oh, yeah. as, as many folks as they could I think to get extra tickets. And all, because they can't, you know, because it's driving distance. Right. So they can just drive on the, and, and it's SEC country. That, that's just what they do. I think the allotment was 10,000 tickets right. for the first school. Vanderbilt sold their allotment out in no time. I think Cougars had maybe a thousand, if, if a thousand. And wow. And prices I, I, is down. Uh, I'm down, at fault with that because I didn't spend money on, on the Birmingham tickets either because I was hoping to go to Pinstripe Bowl in New York. So I'll, Birmingham, I'm not going to Birmingham. So, you know, if I'd have gone to New York, I'd have spent money for wait, tickets for New York. Well, well, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Because me and Doc going to Birmingham and we didn't switch to Houston. So, yeah. Me and Doc go kind of like, you know, you need to go at least one. And only because, only because, of what that city represents historically Historic, for us. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's a good point. And the museum, yeah. The, the only reason I, I tell I folks to go, not just because of the, the civil rights situation, but to find, but to actually see that Alabama back in their heyday didn't play on campus. They played at Legion Field in Birmingham yeah. and is in the neighborhood yeah. literally with no parking. You parking out on the street and in people's yards. And when they say in that movie and in that, that documentary about the folks that they could hear, literally, really? they could hear. Every Saturday, and when that time came for USC to come to town, they said, you heard folks hollering, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. They said that after is- that, it never was the same again. So Birmingham, you Doc, need to go. Before you wrap it up. Uh, we can get more details later in the future podcast. True. I, I can't think of it. The NFL, the NCAA, or I read it the last few days about somebody going, possibly going into more dynamic pricing for their tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, season season tickets. I think, I think it's football. I won't say NFL, maybe. Probably. The more teams are looking at it to have the less important or the less known rivals tickets cost less, oh. but the uh, the variable and dynamic prices, uh, yes, uh, yeah, better known team, premium games. So it had diff- variable pricing, right? Well put. So just get your thoughts on that. The future stuff. I think it's possibly if it works out, will be the way of the future. I definitely well, think it is. You you've seen it start to creep in, and I would imagine that it's going to come in slowly, but you'll see it. Full force, mm-hmm. and it's just people that understand uh, the deeper level of marketing strategy to understand it's a way to increase your revenue. So what you find out is when you have, and you see it based on those that are familiar with scalping, it's film, it's very familiar to that. Uh, as bigger and better components come in, the higher your ticket price is going to go, and the less they are. So basically, what you'll do is you'll have sixty percent of your seats in your stadium. The gear towards your season ticket holder, mm-hmm. and the other forty percent will go to this variable pricing strategy, such that uh, it will mirror the caliber of the team that's coming in. So you'll get more fluxes in your ticket prices. But what you'll find out at the end of the day, when you're counting your revenues, is you should see an increase in revenue sales uh, because, because. Uh, 
um, you'll get more people that weren't going to a game to come now because the pricing is more in their window. And then, obviously, you'll be able to increase your cricket taxes even when a lot of people go into the game because they're going to pay premium prices. And on that note, we'll close it up. How can folks find you, sir? Yes, people can find me on uh, the social media platform. It's Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-E-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-E-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. And that is both Facebook, Twitter, as well as Instagram. You can also find me in terms of the blog spirits on some of the sites out there during the football season. That's collegesportingnews.com. About to close out on that except for periodical uh, articles that I review in terms of, obviously, signing day, things of that nature, and some championship game reports and things out in the spring. And spring ball comes back. You'll see some articles on there, but they won't be as far as in between. But uh, up to date in terms of basketball as it takes off, and then we get into baseball, both men's and women's. Look for the poll coming out, and that will be on tspnsports.com as well as onadon.com. And onadon is www.onnidan.com. Those that want to hit me directly, you can send an email to kcavill at thg-agency.com. That's K-C-A-V-I-L at T-H-G-Agency.com. That's pretty much everywhere you can find me in terms of uh, what I have down out there. And obviously, uh, right here on campus, doing a lot of work in terms of uh, preventing lectures to students, traveling the world, trying to present my founding on research that I've done. Looking forward to a trip uh, to Trinidad and Tobago as y'all head off uh, later to Nashville. I'm going to try to get to the islands. It's a little bit different than Nashville. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're killing me. You're killing me, Doc. But, but, well, I can't you on, on the Internet. You're killing so. me, Doc. You're killing me. Uh, I got two media platforms, print and Internet. Print, you can find me in the new uh, College Sports Report, in the new edition of KingSizeView.com. You cannot forget it. Just got uh, uh, the state high school uh, championships on the front. and uh, the uh, Little, the uh, community youth pro, uh, uh, football programs, they just finished up also a week, a couple of weeks ago. And then you'll find my three articles in the, uh, in the, uh, near pages on Mac Brown's exit, Rice going bowling, and the, uh, changeover at, uh, University of Houston Women's ba- Basketball. I am, a, uh, I am the college sports reporter. You can find me online at, uh, on kingsizeview.com, YouTube, Blogger, and Twitter, AKSVDCSR. AKSVDCSR. And as I finish out, 309 left in the second half, it's 6074 TCU, and Mr. Eric has 18 and 9. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. Website is www.houstonroundballreview.com. Houston Round Ball Review is the Instagram account and the YouTube channel. Twitter is T-H-E-H-R Review. Facebook fan page is the Houston Round Ball Review. And we have not forgotten about We still have uh, hopes and plans to have a a uh, KG Fifth Wildcat and Doc uh, Facebook fan page in 2014. So look forward to that. We'll announce that when it's done. Um, Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. Thank you for the text message, for, to, for discussion during the podcast. Spread the word about the podcast. Spread the word 
Like us on Facebook. Like us on Twitter. Kudos to the uh, number of people who liked us on SoundCloud. So thank you very much for that. So we're we're broadening, reaching more folks, so getting more people listening to the the uh, podcast. We got some retweets and links and stuff on Twitter on Friday. So as always, thank you for that. Going to wrap it up. Look forward to the start of conference play in, in basketball. So uh, come out to Hall Finals Pavilion to watch uh, Connecticut Huskies on the men's team, men's side, on New Year's Eve, play the Cougars. Uh, Tayshawn Thomas of the Cougars was is uh, posted on the American.org website as one of the 14 players to watch uh, for the conference this season. So good that he get, he's getting some recognition for his achievements. So wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.